Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast is a Christ-centered podcast. Established in 2019 and hosted weekly by Pastor Chris Busher. Addressing a host of topics such as the Great Commission, Christian discipleship, and often featuring interviews with special guests who are experts in their field. The views and events expressed on this podcast and all related materials belong solely to their author and not necessarily to the author's employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. While all attempts are made to present accurate information, some information may become outdated over time. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast makes every attempt to timely update any and all such information. Without further delay, here's another powerful episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. Once again, my name is Dallas here. Today, we have another incredible guest joining us, Dr. Guy E. Glad. That's such an amazing name. Thank you for joining us today, Glad. How are you? I'm good, Dallas. Thank you. Feel free to call me by my first name, Guy. Your first name, Guy. All right. Dr. Guy, Dr. Guy. So it's a pleasure to have you here today. We're going to discuss your recently released book, Resilient Faith of Biblical Proportions. And so we're going to, we have a lot of questions prepared for that. But before we talk about the book specifically, I just want to give you the opportunity to discuss who you are to our audience. Our audience love to hear from our guests directly of their faith, how they found the Lord and how it changed their life moving forward. So Guy, go ahead. Just tell us a little bit about who you are. Okay. So uh, I'm an only child coming from a Marine Corps home. Uh, we were a um, kind of a nominally religious family. Uh, I didn't hear about the need to accept Christ as my personal savior till I was a senior in high school, at which point in time I engaged in the typical argument with God over a three-month period of time uh, I, I'm not a sinner. I'm not that bad of a person. I'm really a nice guy. I'm not guilty of any major sins. But uh, Dallas, guess who won that argument? God did. Yeah. No, not me. And so uh, in my on November 23rd of my senior year in high school, I uh, went into my room, shut the door, knelt in, uh, next to my bed and invited Christ into my life, having repented of my sin and I got to tell you, it was it made a 180 degree difference in my life. It gave me perspective. It gave me direction. And I knew that I couldn't live my life without doing some form of preaching, teaching mm -hmm. or counseling using God's word and being involved in, in helping others to come to Christ or and or helping others to really get a grasp of their faith and apply it to all their life situations. So uh, I went to college, the Lord called me to seminary. Um, I spent about six years in the Philadelphia area as a, a pastor. And then the Lord called me onto active duty in the army as an army chaplain, where I spent- What was that like? Like that call of switching from being a, a pastor to going to be a chaplain, what was that like? Well, um, functionally, there's not much difference. Uh, we, you know, Chaplains are considered the pastor for their soldiers. They're not called pastor, they're called chaplain. But uh, everywhere I deployed with my soldiers, whether it was a combat zone, a nation building zone, or a peacekeeping mission with my soldiers, I had fabulous day-to-day -day ministry opportunities and really on the ground where real problems were and where real life lies. And um, 
Not a day went by, Dallas, uh, in 28 years as an active duty chaplain all over the world uh, where I felt unneeded or unfulfilled. It was fabulous, wow. 28 years of ministry. 28 years uh, in, then, in the Army. Wow. 28, yeah. Wow. And then I, I retired from active duty on a Friday and went back to work Monday for the Army as a civilian addiction medicine and behavioral health therapist at one of the Army's largest teaching hospitals in the world at Fort Lewis, uh, Washington, where I spent seven years continuing to minister and, and counsel and give therapy to soldiers, occasionally their family members. Uh, and so after seven years, I retired from that and then began teaching full-time and writing full-time, which is where I'm, I'm at right now is uh, teaching and writing full-time. Uh, at Faith International University and Seminary in Tacoma, Washington. What a story. <laughs> what a story. Well, you've been on a journey. <laughs> you have been on a journey. Wow. There was one time in my life when I was I was feeling this call to missions, and I was like, I think I'm supposed to be a chaplain. I think that's how God is going to fulfill this, this call of missions. I tried. It did not work. My way didn't work. I'm so grateful that I did the other things, but that's amazing that that you were an army chaplain for so many years and and then you continued in the work as well. I'm sure you saw such a need for this addiction and medicine and PTSD therapy type of situation. Absolutely. And uh, mm -hmm. it's interesting that um, no matter what circumstance I found myself in, whether it be in the civilian world or the military world, mm -hmm. the need for faith in Christ and the application of my faith in Christ to my life, in all my circumstances, the highs and the lows, I need to remember that my faith is in God's plan, his perspective, his word, and his promises. And if I if I remember that, and I make that a, a direction I follow in my life, then all the chaos that's going on around us in the world today um, calms down. It stabilizes because I know that God, his, his word, his character, and his promises transcend all the stuff going on in the world. And so uh, that's the one common element, regardless of continent, mm -hmm. um, whether it's civilian or as a soldier, uh, whatever, whatever my lot is in life, biblical faith is the key to going in the right direction and the, the key to having a fulfilled and peaceful life. Yeah. You're listening to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast. We'll be right back after this quick word from our sponsors. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Holy Spirit Soapbox. In this show, I'll be telling stories, analogies, and devotionals led by the Holy Spirit to hopefully give you a better understanding of God's heart and how to deal with everyday situations. We'll also incorporate Bible verses and questions to meditate on that we hope will really dig into your heart and spirit to bring you closer to our Creator. Also keep in mind, episodes will be uploaded regularly to some of your favorite platforms, so feel free to subscribe to or follow us so you can be updated when a new episode is released or to listen to all of our live episodes. You can also visit HolySpiritSoapbox.com to email us, chat with us, ask for prayers, and listen to your favorite episodes there. You said you have you're writing full time now, so this is probably not your first book. Uh, 
Resilient Faith of Biblical Proportions is my third book, actually. Third book. And, and all three books are connect, logically connected. Uh, can I summarize the, Please, how that connection ahead. is? Mm -hmm. So my first book is Ambushed, The Siren Song of Alcohol Use. And it emerges out of my um, coming, my family of origin. My father was an alcoholic. I'm an adult child of an alcoholic. Uh, and then seeing, especially in the military, the destructive effects of uh, alcohol abuse on lives, relationships, and careers. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and so God really um, prompted me and, and gave me the passion to write this first book dealing specifically with uh, addiction medicine. My second book called Personal Peace, Embrace the Promises, kind of emerges out of the first book in, in this way, that a lot of people, matter of fact, most people who struggle with alcohol abuse are using alcohol to manage their negative emotions and their anxiety. Mm -hmm. I can either deal with my negative emotions or I can drink at it and numb those emotions so I don't have to worry about it till the next morning. Yeah. And that just destroys a person's life. And so the second book deals with anxiety management. So we go mm -hmm. from the first book, addiction medicine, to the second book, anxiety management, logical progression. And then the third book, Resilient Faith of Biblical Proportions, focuses on the idea that in Hebrews chapter 11, there's a long list of the heroes of faith from the Old Testament who had different circumstances. They all had chaos come into their life and uncertainty and, and problems and pain and difficulties. But they're mentioned in Hebrews 11 in one breath, mm -hmm. that their faith was genuine and acceptable to God. So it kind of clicked in my mind. I'm thinking, well, if acceptable faith help them deal with their chaotic circumstances as we study their lives how much more can it help us today to deal with the uncertainty that surrounds us hence the third book resilient faith of biblical proportions specifically studying what is genuine faith in the bible uh, mentioned in the bible with the meaning and definition of faith as well as the heroes of faith from hebrews 11 um in, in what I affectionately call the Hall of Faith in mm -hmm. Hebrews 11. What can we learn from their lives? And we can learn a lot from their lives and their faith. Yeah, yeah. And talking a little bit more about this morally decomposing world that we live in, I mean, how does this being resilient in our faith with the biblical proportions play into the morally corrupt world that we live in today? Well, it, it really operationalizes the idea that uh, Christians are... We're citizens of heaven. We're only mm -hmm. journeying through this world. And that faith, you know, you may have heard the phrase, uh, you just got to have faith. Yeah. Well, I give pushback to that phrase in the book wow. because, because faith is only as good as the object of the faith. So if I have faith in a political leader or a political system or my career or my finances or my spouse, I'm going to be disappointed and my faith is my my life is going to be up and down. I'll have struggles with negative emotions that are tied directly mm -hmm. into my circumstances and everything going on in the world. But if I understand genuine biblical faith rests in the God of of love, His mm -hmm. character, His perspective, and His promises in His Word, 
then my faith transcends everything going on around me. And, um, and it doesn't impact me because I'm always looking to the God who transcends the world. Yeah. Going into Hebrews 11 a little bit more, that last verse, those last two verses here, 39 and 40, that all of these, though committed through their faith, did not receive what was promised. What does that mean? Can you discuss that a little bit more? Because that's so it's so encouraging to read about all the heroes of our faith, and then we get to that, but they didn't receive the promise. And that is like, oh, will I not receive the promise? You know. So can you address that for our audience? <laughs> that, that's a great question, and that's really a two-part answer. The first part mm -hmm. is the heroes of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11 all looked to the future Messiah, the mm -hmm. future coming of Christ. And Hebrews kind of foreshadows the coming of Christ that also um, reflects the, um, the, the Old Testament system of sacrifice and that Christ fulfilled ultimately and completely uh, on his, his crucifixion on the cross, the sacrifice for our sins. So the Old Testament believers were looking forward to the coming of Christ. You and I as New Testament believers, you know, believers after the the resurrection of Christ, his death and resurrection, we look back to the cross. Mm -hmm. The Old Testament looked forward. We look back. The cross is a central figure in history. And in the Bible, it's really interesting. Hebrews also talks about the rewards of faith, the crowns that God talks about in his word in heaven for those who faithfully serve him and persevere to the end. So the Old Testament, Old Testament believers look forward to the coming of Christ. We as New Testament believers look back to the cross and forward to the future, ultimately when God uh, gives out the, the crowns and the rewards for faith. And that makes some people un uncomfortable. They think, well, I, I don't have faith in God to get the, the crown or the reward. And that's true. We don't. It's a response to God's love for us. But his word still says that God has crowns yeah. and rewards for those who persevere. And, and that's the sense that um, those last two verses bring. Yeah. Thank you for, for bringing that. Cause I know people are listening today and they're like, yes, I know the verses, I know the verses, but then it says this, what's going on. So thank you. Thank you for addressing that. And sure. I want to go back a little bit to your therapy that you were doing the PTSD treatment and addiction therapy. And how does, can we compare secular therapy versus faith therapy and what's the difference and which one is more beneficial if you know if you could touch on that well that's a great question and that's one of the uh, arguments that have gone on in the church and in secular science mm -hmm. for the last 2000 years there's this been this historic mistrust between the secular world science generally not always but science and the bible mm -hmm. uh the church and science uh, but augustine in the 4th century <clears throat> excuse me, Augustine in the fourth century made the distinction between the two books of God. And that's really what he, what he, his observation was, and it's really true, is the Bible talks about all of God's truth as being God's truth, mm -hmm. whether it's special revelation in the Bible or general revelation in the world. So, for example, book one, Augustine said, book one of God's truth is nature. Nature being uh, Psalm 19, um, Romans 1, the heavens declare the glory of God and also his handiwork. And so we see God's truth in nature all around us. Mm -hmm. We also, book two, the Bible, special revelation, God has revealed his will and his word to us in the Bible. 
And there doesn't need to be this conflict, this tension between the two, because all truth is God's truth. And there's no natural truth out there that can be discovered and observed that will violate God's special revelation. It's mm -hmm. all God's truth. Now, the problem comes in, the area of mistrust comes in when secular atheists or humanists make their observation and then come to an erroneous conclusion. Like, my, how beautiful this world is, how it's evolved over trillions of years. Well, that's a wrong conclusion. Mm -hmm. The fact is God is a creator. So applying that idea to therapy for especially PTSD and addiction medicine is there are all there's all kinds of God's truth in medicine. For example, when you go, you or I go to our doctor, I don't bring my Bible with me and open it and say, doctor, I want you to practice biblical principles of medicine on me today. Mm -hmm. Or when I go to my dentist, I want you to practice biblical principles of dentistry or my pharmacy or my mechanic. Mm -hmm. I don't bring my Bible and say, now, I want you to practice biblical principles of physics and mechanics on my truck. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. And so we all kind of by uh, by instinct accept the truth by faith in, in the natural world around us, none of which violates scripture. And so Augustine pointed out what scripture teaches is that all God, all truth is God's truth. The entire universe uh, was created by God, and he is he is transcendent above that universe, and he's imminent working in the universe. And so when it comes to therapy, I'm what's called an integrative Christian therapist. That means I take established principles of truth from medicine and science, and I integrate them into the therapy session with biblical principles of emotional and uh, spiritual growth to bring a combined powerful effect into the lives of my patients and counselees. Wow. I've never experienced this, this side of it because for me, through my addiction and, and that's another story for another day, but a lot of our audience are aware of this, that I also went through an addiction program myself um, when I was 19, 20 years old. And so I went through this, this facility. It was a Christian based Christian addict. It was a Christ-centered addiction recovery center for my drug addiction. And so there wasn't any medicine applied. It was only being set away from the world without distractions, reading the Bible for one year and doing teachings and things like this. And so for me, that's what I needed in my life. Absolutely. So I'm not familiar with the the other side, the medical side. And so that's really interesting for you to, to bring that. What else can you say about that? The addiction medicine. So, uh, so addiction medicine uh, properly practiced We'll look at a couple of ideas. Uh, the first idea, number one, is to humble myself so I can admit that I've lost control of my life in some substance, whether it be alcohol or some other drug or mm -hmm. gambling or, you know, pornography. You you fill in the blank. Anything that becomes an addiction, I've lost control of my life. That's the very definition yeah. of an addiction. And so two things. Number one, I get to the point where I humble myself so I can admit I've lost control of my life and something else has control of my life. Something else other than God it's and the Holy Spirit yeah, for sure. and his word. I've given up control. Mm -hmm. That's that's Paul's argument in 2 Corinthians 6. Know you not that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. 
Mm-hmm. So that's the idea of humbling myself and saying, I've I've given up control of my life. And so the second thing is, and this is what was practiced in, in your story, is accountability. Accountability mm-hmm. for your actions. That, that we're going to take you and set you apart here. And that's really an addiction medicine, medical science specific truth that they practiced is they set you apart. They took you mm-hmm. out of the scenario, out of the situation. And um, if that um, center, that treatment center you were in had a detox mm-hmm. program, detox, medically speaking, takes eight days. Mm-hmm. And so they'll apply that. They'll keep you in under medical supervision for eight days because withdrawal from alcohol is the only substance abuse withdrawal that's fatal. It can be fatal. Yeah, we, our facility didn't have there. this. It didn't have this. They had to go through that process before coming into the facility. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, but they still recognized it and yep. they embraced it mm-hmm. as a part of their program. Yeah. So that's what I mean about um, integrative Christian therapy is that mm-hmm. it recognizes that there are two books, as Augustine said, two books of God. They they complement each other. They reinforce each other. And whether or not we admit it, we all, all Christians believe there are two books of God. Unless you can, <laughs> you know, a Christian or can find a Christian who takes their Bible to their doctor and demands that the doctor follow biblical principles of medicine. It doesn't mm-hmm. happen. So, yeah. That's interesting. I've never heard anyone speak like that. The two books of God. I haven't studied any of Augustine's work, so that's that's very interesting. And yeah. you you also are a dean of a school of leadership of faith. You said a little bit a, a while back ago. Can you tell us a little bit more about that and your role there and how you apply this into resilient faith? So I'm the dean of the school of leadership at Faith International University and Seminary in Tacoma, Washington, where I'm also an associate professor of uh, counseling psychology and leadership, and the coordinator of the Doctor of Strategic Leadership doctoral program that we have also. Uh, And so in in our, especially in our counseling psychology program, we get uh, new students who come in from a background that is purely biblical, the Bible only. That's what I mean by that. And and you know, I we we believe the whole school believes the Bible is God's inerrant word. We believe in the primacy of Scripture, but we also believe, as Augustine pointed out, that there's two books of God: there's nature and there's um, Scripture, biblical principles. And so, what we have to do is train our new students who give some pushback on this idea of truth in the world around us, uh, but. But they slowly come around after some initial arguing and giving pushback. And so that's how we apply um, that principle to the school. And all of our professors uh, embrace this idea that God's truth is everywhere, not limited to the pages of Scripture. And I've heard this previously said as well, that every religion has some truth in it. Is Would you say that that's true? Every religion has some portion of truth? I would say that's absolutely true. And what history teaches us is with the conclusions that secular atheists or secular humanists make who don't include God in their equation is their conclusion is what's erroneous. But we have nothing to fear. Christians have nothing to fear from um, secular the secular world that's observing God's truth. You just mm-hmm. have to measure everything by the principles set out in Scripture. 
I think that many of our listeners today are maybe experiencing personal struggles, struggles, which we all do. And you were talking earlier about Paul, how he was also saying that I do the very thing I don't want to do, right? Can you address that as well and how having resilient faith can help us in our daily life? So resilient faith of biblical proportions uh, focuses on how the Old Testament believers who are mentioned in Hebrews 11 as having genuine faith that means something, mm -hmm. uh, they were all, they all shared the same thing. They lived in different times. Uh, they came from different circumstances and backgrounds. We even have Rahab the harlot, Rahab the prostitute mentioned in there as wow. having genuine faith and being in the line of Christ, the line of David and then the mm -hmm. line of Christ. Uh, this is a picture of God's grace. And so what that, what that means for us is as we study the lives, and, and the book does that, I go into each individual life that's mentioned there and uh, pull or extract principles from their life that reflects on genuine faith, a genuine faith that has as its object mm -hmm. God, his perspective, his word, his character, and his promises. And what happens with with us all when we have struggles, like you mentioned, Paul, even the great apostle Paul said, man, I'm frustrated with my Christian life. The things I know I shouldn't be doing, I am doing. The things I know I should be doing, I'm not doing. Who will deliver me from this body of sin and death? Praise be to God who gives me the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul shifts the focus off of his own struggles and onto Christ. Mm -hmm. He intentionally shifts the focus onto God and God's promises and his word and his character. And uh, I think it's probably true of all of us that when I find myself struggling, it's somehow, and I can always identify it, it's somehow a, a failure of my faith, that it's a weak moment in my faith. Or perhaps I have spiritually immature faith mm -hmm. and I need to spend more time studying God's word and less time reading the newspaper headlines or, yeah. or listening to the discouraging, anger-creating news every night that my PTSD patients and group always mention. They always mention how angry they are by, by what's going on in the news, to which mm -hmm. my response was, uh, well, maybe you should shift the focus off of TV and the news and onto God's word and spiritual growth. So I use this metaphor. When I when I have a pain in my tooth, it, it's comment that there's a problem. You need to go to the, the dentist and get it taken care of. And if I'm a Christian who's really struggling in my faith, um, research indicates, Dallas, that up to 20% of the church right now is struggling with uh, addiction medicine issues, with addictions themselves. Up to 50% of the married couples in any church congregation are experiencing difficulties in their marriage that could lead to divorce. And so when I understand this, that I'm just a human being saved by God's grace and mercy, I still have failings, I still have an old nature, I still struggle with sin and temptation. And so if I have a pain in my life, if I have a struggle in my life, whether it be an addiction to a substance, or I have problems managing my anxiety, reestablishing genuine faith in God and all he brings to the table uh, is what that pain signifies. Mm -hmm. You were talking earlier about spending less time watching the news or reading the newspaper, but spending more time in the word of God. So we can call that our secret place time, right? Spending time alone with God. So 
tell us a little bit about your secret life and how can we find our secret life? Because I hear so many people, it's different for every person, right? Some people it's in the garage, some people it's in the closet. So if you could just give some perspective of how we can find our secret place, I think that would be great. So I think uh, I think that's a great point. We all need to have a secret place. And by secret place, I, I love metaphor. And so for secret place for me, it signifies a place where my mind is focused on the things of God, contemplating those things, mm-hmm. reflecting on how my life uh, is in compliance with biblical faith as revealed in Hebrews chapter 11. So for me, I have a couple of tracks going in my head at all times. I have my first track is what's going on around me immediately, whether that be I'm teaching, counseling, writing, studying, whatever it is. But there's always a second track that's constantly going um, during all my waking hours. And that is a constant a sensitivity to or an awareness of God's presence in my life and continuing to search, continually searching. And so um, most of the time, I spend my time of reflection and um, devotions in my office, mm-hmm. most of the time. But I can be driving down the street, and I can be praying while I'm driving. Mm-hmm. So I tend to take that, that approach, but everyone is different. I have students, for example, and fellow professors who have a, a prayer closet. They go into a small room, and they pray there, or They'll go into a designated room to do their studying so they won't be interrupted. But um, not being interrupted, I think, is a key piece to this private time uh, to focus strictly on God, because there are so many distractions in the world. I already mentioned a couple of them. Yeah, thank you. And as we conclude here, I just want to talk about your, your future projects, if you have any future books coming out, if there's a fourth book to this, where can we find some of your information as well in, in your school, if we want to get involved with that? So um, the school is online, www.faithinternationaluniversity.com or just FIU.com. My personal website is www.guyglad.com. So www.guyglad.com, that's where all my books appear, as well as my other interviews um, and in uh, my journal articles. That's where you can get a full compilation. There's also a, vid- a visual military history there for me that's pretty interesting. I, I like that. Um, and so, uh, so that's where you can find out more. Now, my plans, uh, I have uh, one book that's about 90% done. It's a totally different topic. It's on the uh, biblical anchors of America's foundation, establishing the fact that America was founded on biblical principles. And so I wanted to join that conversation. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's about 90% done. Then I have another book that's on the horizon that I've outlined. It's called uh, Combating Anxiety, a Battle Plan. And the military way of thinking, military uh, principles are overlaid uh, onto the issue of anxiety management and kind of emerge out of my second book, Embrace the Promises, uh, embrace, you know, Personal Peace, Embracing the Promises. And so that's what I have planned. And I think that also probably next year at this time, I'll have a book on leadership coming out. I'm looking forward to that too. 
Wow. Some of the things that you learned while in the military, do you still apply those principles today in your life? It's something that you just, it created who you were, would you say? Uh, well, uh, it reinforced who I was initially going in, but it also it also sharpened my focus on some things. And one thing in particular that is that is very applicable to the Christian life is the idea of personal discipline. I have to be personally disciplined enough to have a specific quiet time set aside every day to reflect on my faith, to reflect on the individuals of faith mentioned in Hebrews 11, to study their lives, to study what's written about them in the book, and to, to go through the evaluation process yeah. every day. It's got to be disciplined. And, and the problem is the sinful human heart, which we all have, is a master at creating reasons and justifying why they don't have time or why I don't have time to spend with God. I'm mm -hmm. so busy. And, and so that's really, in my opinion, a function of the sinful human heart. So I would say self-discipline is the one overarching um, principle that the army taught me and reinforced what I was raised with. And so I would say yeah, self-discipline, yeah, self self that's a tough one because you, what you want to do and what you should do are not always the same thing. They don't always align up, but that's, that's such yeah, a good but, point. Yeah, that's a great point. And also what we should do and what we want to do, hopefully through emotional and spiritual growth, those two things will slowly merge on it in time to become what I want and what I ought to do. I want to do. Yeah. Wow. I pray that I get there. <laughs> I'm not there yet, but I wish I am. I, I want to get there soon, soon. I'm, I'm not either. It's a lifetime. Yeah. Thank you so much for everything that you shared today. I really appreciate all the things you're saying. And, and self-discipline is so important. Having resilient faith is so important. And you were saying that it's so important for us to apply this in our life. And I think that's for my lifestyle of addiction too. I don't naturally have this self-discipline. I need someone, I need that accountability, as you said. And and so I need people to walk. Community is so important for me to be around people that are put, pointing me in the right direction. And hopefully I get to that place, like you're saying, where I, what I want to do and what I should do align. <laughs> I hope that, that that comes sooner than later. So I really appreciate your time here today. And if you could end our time with a prayer, that would be excellent. <laughs> I'm still I here. would love to thank you, yeah, thank you for the time together. It was great to get to know you and yep. Heavenly Father, thank you for our time together. I pray that um, the principles that you have revealed uh, to me and are in the book uh, would be real in the lives of others who are have special needs at this time. May your grace and mercy be applicable and true for all of us. Give us a self-discipline to do what we want to do and what we ought to do and make those two things the same thing over time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. You've just listened to the Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast with your host, Pastor Chris Busher. Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast was recorded live in studio with final editing made before uploading. Subscribe today to Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. For more fantastic daily content, visit Pastor Chris Busher online via Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't miss the next episode on Faith and Family Fellowship Podcast.